Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The although we've come to the end of the road edition. As the Bengals end the 2020 season with a downer, getting run over by the Baltimore Ravens 38-3. Coming up, you'll hear radio replays, post-game comments from players and coaches, and in-depth analysis from Dave Lapham. And in this week's Fun Facts segment, it's honestly one of my all-time favorite episodes of this segment as we go in-depth with rookie wide receiver T. Higgins. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since the Bee Gees documentary on HBO. I've never really been a fan of the Bee Gees, although I might be the world's biggest fan of the Barry Gibb talk show skit on Saturday Night Live with Jimmy Fallon and Justin Timberlake, where they sing, talking about chest hair, talking about crazy cool medallions. Look it up if you've never seen it. In any case, I recently stumbled into the Bee Gees documentary that's currently running on HBO, and now I can't get their songs out of my head. So, yes, since episodes of this podcast are always named for song titles or lyrics, it's only a matter of time before you get a Ah, 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 staying alive episode. Heard enough of me singing? I thought so. Let's get to football. The Ravens started the game with a 12-play drive that took nearly seven minutes off the clock. It ended with a Justin Tucker field goal that made it 3-0 Baltimore. The Bengals answered with what looked like a huge gain on their third play from scrimmage. Three receivers stretch out to the left, one out to the right. It's third down and eight. Shotgun snap. Allen with a quick throw. Caught by T. Higgins. Sprinting up the middle of the field. Penalty flags down. He's to the 50. The Baltimore 45 then goes down at the Ravens 40, and he appears to be hurt. T. Higgins grabbing at his hamstring after catching a pass. That breaks the team record for catches by a rookie, but there are penalty flags down. If it's against Cincinnati, it won't count, and T. Higgins appears to be hurt. Oh, he missed some practice time this week with a hamstring problem. It could be a pick. Offensive pass Pass interference. Offense number 80. Ten-yard penalty. Third down. Yeah, they call the the OPI. That's what allowed T. Higgins to break free, and then he exacerbated that uh, hamstring issue that he had he was limited in practices earlier in the week with a hamstring problem, and now it's worsened. He's still down on the field getting attention from the medical staff. It wipes out the catch. And if the hamstring is, in fact, the injury and he does not continue today, he will not break Chris Collinsworth's franchise record. Instead, they share the record as T finished a fantastic rookie year with 67 catches for 908 yards. Here's quarterback Brandon Allen on the loss of a 41-yard gain and, more importantly, one of the team's best weapons. Kind of snowballed from there. You know, anytime you you get a big play like that, that one gets called back and two, um, you lose T for the rest of the game uh, with, with that hamstring, I believe it was. So, um, you know, like, like we said earlier, it definitely took some wind out of our sails. But, um, you know, as a, as a good offense, you have to be able to come back from that and, and execute. And, and it's – it's always been the next guy mentality. So, um, 
you know, anytime you lose a, a, a really good player like T um, for a game is tough, but, you know, guys, guys, I thought really have been stepping up all year and continue to do that. And we just weren't able to get it done. No, they weren't. Meanwhile, Baltimore scored again on its second possession. Out of a pistol formation, Jackson fakes a handoff, does a pirouette, now throws it deep down the middle of the field. Boykin catches it at the five and runs into the end zone with LaShawn Sims trailing him. A 43-yard touchdown pass. Lamar Jackson to Miles Boykin. At the end of the first quarter, the score was 10-0 and total yards were 152-4. to But early in the second quarter, the Bengals' defense provided a golden opportunity. Third down and five. The Ravens at their own 41. Andrews goes in motion. Lamar Jackson back to throw. Looking, looking. Pump fakes, throws, batted again. And this time it is intercepted. Akeem Davis Gaither with his first career pick. Marcus got it. He has it at the 48-yard line, and the Bengals come up with a takeaway. And Marcus Hunt got it again. Marcus Hunt, that's his second tip in that series. Akeem Davis-Gaither's first career pick gave the Bengals the ball at the Baltimore 47. They gained three yards on three plays and had to punt. Baltimore took over at the seven and basically put the game away. This has been a 16-play, 75-yard drive that's taken eight and a half minutes off the clock. Third down and eight, Lamar back to throw. Chucks it toward the middle of the end zone, a sliding attempt. And a touchdown catch for Hollywood Brown. Beat Jalen Davis very easily. It was 17-0 before the Bengals even had a first down. They got three in a row on their final drive of the first half and got on the scoreboard. 37 seconds left in the half. Harris will snap. Huber will hold. Huber looks back at the kicker. Now turns his head. Catches the snap. Puts the ball down. The kick is blasted by Seibert. And it is good. It was 17-3 at the half, but quickly became a rout when the Ravens scored on their first two drives of the third quarter. Two-by-two formation. Now one of the receivers to the left motions into the backfield. That's Dobbins. Lamar Jackson gives it to J.K. Dobbins, and he runs into the end zone, scoring a touchdown for the sixth consecutive game in his rookie year. Lamar Jackson rolls right, looking to throw, being chased. Now throws toward the end zone. It is caught for the touchdown by Hollywood Brown. That made it 31-3, and Lamar Jackson was done for the day with roughly four minutes to go in the third quarter. He only completed 10 passes, but three were for touchdowns, and Lamar ran for 97 yards, making him the first quarterback in NFL history to have two 1,000-yard rushing seasons. Michael Vick is the only other quarterback to have one. The only drama left involved A.J. Green, who was likely playing in a Bengals uniform for the final time. He entered the game with 65 career touchdown catches, one shy of Chad Johnson's team record. After a 55-yard run by Travion Williams late in the third quarter, A.J. drew back-to-back pass interference penalties, one at the four-yard line and one in the end zone, putting the Bengals in perfect position to try to get him a share of the team record. First and goal from the one after the penalty. A.J. Green goes out to the right. Brandon Allen is under center. The running back is Travion Williams. Allen takes the snap, fakes a handoff, looking to throw left for A.J. Green, Uh, and it is intercepted by Marcus Peters. It was underthrown by Allen. Touchback. And the Ravens deny the Bengals on first and goal from the one as Marcus Peters stepped in front of A.J. Green and intercepted that underthrown ball. I think the Ravens knew exactly what the Bengals were trying to do. 
and uh, you know get AJ that touchdown. And again, thrown off his back foot as he's falling away from the line of scrimmage. Calais Campbell providing pressure. The ball's underthrown, and he never gets it out outside of the goal line. The whole ball has to cross the goal line. It's a touchback. He was open. Just have to throw it yeah. to the back pylon. Yep, he underthrew it by a margin. Here's Brandon Allen. You got the right looks for him, and um, you know, got pass interference on a couple times, and then uh, uh, did not get the ball out far enough for him on, on the one. So um, definitely um, looking A.J.'s way, uh, trying to give him a touchdown, and uh, wasn't able to get it to him. A.J. was targeted six times and did not have a catch. A disappointing ending to a remarkable 10-year run. Here's teammate Jesse Bates. I'm sure he's very disappointed um, because he deserves uh, that. Uh, he's, he's put so much into the city. Um, and to the organization over the amount of years. Um, and he, he deserves to get that record. But um, he, he, has a, he has a great life uh, ahead of, of just that record. So uh, I'm sure he'll, he'll go play ball, you know, maybe not here next year. Uh, and I'm sure he'll have a lot of success because I know what he stands for. So um, I'm, I'm very honored to be able to play with someone like him and uh, also learn, uh, you know, to help my, my, help my career out. As well. And two plays after the Marcus Peters interception, the Ravens rubbed a little salt in the Bengals' wound. Second and two officially for the Ravens. Hutley turns left, hands it off to Dobbins. He runs for the first down, gets away from Pratt, sprinting downfield to the 40, the 30, the 20, the 10, and the former Buckeye goes 72 yards for a touchdown as the Ravens continue to pour it on. That was part of a 160-yard day for J.K. Dobbins and part of a 404-yard rushing performance by Baltimore. That's the most rushing yards ever surrendered by the Bengals by a wide margin. The previous high was 313 by Kansas City in 1969, the Bengals' second year of existence. Here's Zach Taylor. It was a challenge. I mean, we 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 were missing a fair amount of guys over there. That's that's no fun. Um, and and I don't I don't question the effort. Obviously, I haven't seen the tape yet, but but there was nothing that stood out in that that standpoint. Um, we ran into a really good football team that can run it as well as any team in the league, and and they had enough long runs there that that really broke our backs in some situations. Uh, we do expect to be better, but but. Um, it was, a, it was a tough matchup right now. The 404 rushing yards allowed was almost an NFL record for the Super Bowl era. Ironically, the Bengals set that record on offense in 2000 when they ran for 407 yards against Denver. That was the day that Corey Dillon went for 278. The final score Sunday was Baltimore 38, Cincinnati 3, as the Bengals managed to score just one field goal in each of their two games against Baltimore this year. Here are Zach Taylor and Jesse Bates on a rough finale. Not how we wanted to end. There's no question about that. Um, certainly, we did some good things the last two weeks, and and uh, we just got to continue to build from everything, good and bad, that happened over the course of the season and uh, focus on, on improving over the course of the spring. My mindset going into this game was uh, just play really hard for all the guys that has put so much time into the season. Um, even though we lost, got our butt kicked tonight, um, I just want to focus more on you know the guys um, that continue to fight. Uh, you, you get two two wins back to back in week 15 and 16, um, and that's not that's not easy to do. So uh, I don't want to focus on the negatives. Um, I'm just gonna uh, go enjoy the you know the teammates tonight um, because it, it, this won't be the same uh, with some without some of those guys that uh, won't be in the locker room next year. The Bengals finish 4-11 and one. 
They're locked into the fifth pick in next year's draft after the Jaguars, Jets, Dolphins, who got the Texans pick, and Falcons. Now time for postgame analysis with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lap, for all the feel-good from the last couple of wins, a lot of that was squelched in the final game of the year against Baltimore just because of how lopsided the game was. Do you think it changes anything in terms of what Mike Brown might be thinking or really the, the, the course of action that this team was likely to take? That's a, that's a great question. I mean, you would, you would think uh, it might give you some pause because, I mean, this division opponent, you're light years away from the Baltimore Ravens. It's 65-6 to six in the two games this year. Uh, you convert four for 25 on third down. Um, you know, you, you, you don't score a touchdown. You score six points in eight quarters, and then you give up 400 yards rushing to their offense. That's not, that's not going to change. That's not going to go away. They're going to have the same players and, and the same scheme back. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Now, you know, there, there are circumstances, obviously. Uh, you're down three defense, your three best defensive tackles, your three best cornerbacks, your three best everything. But you, you, you think that you'd be able to put up a little bit more resistance than what took place today. I got out of hand early. It seemed like uh, the devastating offensive pass interference followed by the injury, the hamstring of T. Higgins on that same play took the, the wind out of the sails of the football team, I think, pretty dramatically, and it took them a long time to, to rebound and recover, and it was much too late, and they never did <laughs> rebound and recover. So, um, But, yeah, I mean, you, you wonder. You wonder about did, did this devastation, this lopsidedness, did it offset the feel-good uh, part of the, of the two-game winning streak? Um, because this, this was the litmus test. They caught Pittsburgh when Pittsburgh was in a lull. They weren't playing their best football. Houston's just not playing very well at all this year other than Deshaun Watson. They're a one-man team, basically. But this football team, uh, they were playing their best football. I mean, they were peaking at the right time. And this was the litmus test. This was the barometer. How, how close have we come? How, how much better are we than the first time we played against them? <clears throat> not very much. There have been numerous reports in recent days about upcoming changes that are expected on the Bengals coaching staff. Former Channel 5 reporter Elise Jesse was the first to say that offensive line coach Jim Turner, defensive line coach Nick Eason, and defensive assistant Gerald Chapman are expected to be out. Since then, it has been reported that Bob McNell, the wide receivers coach, and Jamal Singleton, the running backs coach, are not expected to be back. We do not have... Bengals confirmation on any of that, but it certainly sounds like there is going to be a big shakeup, even if Zach Taylor is back as head coach. Yeah, and I, th- I think uh, it, it's interesting how much of it is uh, organization driven, how much of it is, is the coach deciding that they want to go elsewhere. I'm sure it's a combination of both, but there are going to be significant changes, you know, in the coaching staff. And as a former player, that would have been weird. For me to hear uh, right before the football game about all these coaches moving on, these guys that you were, you know, you're you're <laughs> working with all week, you're prepping for the game, everybody's, you know, rowing the boat the same way, and this guy might be going to Tennessee to coach an offensive line, Coach Turner. That was that's a rumor I heard out there. Coach Singleton going to Kentucky, um, you know, other guys going wherever. Uh, that 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 could be. <laughs> I'm not saying that it, it it certainly didn't help the cause. I, I think you shouldn't shouldn't use it as a crutch that you got smoked the way you got smoked. There are a lot of reasons, 
and most of it was lining up and putting on big boy pads and not being able to have those big boy pads on and not two chin straps on. You, you just got pushed around. I mean, it was a physical football game for one team, and that team won uh, handily. So you, you can't use it as a uh, crutch. You can't use it as an excuse, but it's not helpful, you know, to have uh, that kind of thing all come out right before you go out to play a football game. In what was almost certainly his last game in a Bengals uniform, A.J. Green was targeted six times, did not have a catch. On first and goal from the one, they clearly wanted to get him the touchdown tying record to pull even all time with Chad Johnson, and it was there. He was running across the field from right to left. He was open in the back left corner of the end zone. Brandon Allen had somebody in his face, didn't get enough on the ball, and it turned into the easiest interception that Marcus Peters might ever have. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it just... It just floated out there, it floated there for him. I mean, it just hung up in the air and, and, and way short. You know, in a situation like that, you throw it to the back pylon from a from a, a target standpoint, but you make sure if it's if it's not going to be caught, it's out of bounds. It's not going to land in the hands of the opponent. A.J. Green didn't even have an opportunity to reverse roles and play defensive back. It was underthrown to that extent. You know, he couldn't couldn't prevent the uh, the interception. So, you know, that that play that play certainly was a, a tough one, a tough pill to swallow and. To me, it was it was almost sad, uh, you know, to see AJ's career wind down the way it did. I mean, I, when I close my eyes and think of AJ Green, I see all kinds of unbelievable circus acrobatic catches, making guys miss, splitting defenders and running, turning seven-yard receptions into seventy-yard touchdowns. All these things that AJ Green did, and uh, you know, the the, the, the last images that you have of A.J. Green are not those type of images, and you got to realize that uh, for a high, high percentage of his career, he was the other guy. He was the guy that was just, you know, <laughs> struck the fear of uh, A.J. Green into defensive backs league-wide. 2015, after A.J. went for 227 receiving yards against Baltimore, John Harbaugh famously said, one of these days we'll figure out how to cover A.J. Green. It would be nice if we did it one time before he retires, they did it. They did it. No, no, no question about it. And uh, I mean, it was, <laughs> it was a, a, a team effort. Um, it was what what the Baltimore Ravens did defensively, and it was what the Bengals didn't do offensively or couldn't do offensively against that Raven defense for sure. Four hundred and four rushing yards allowed. A Bengals record. They gave up three fifty in the first three quarters. That was a single-game Bengals record for most rushing yards allowed. Uh, the NFL record survived of 426 going back to 1934 against the team called the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, by the Detroit Lions. And then the modern record, which Cincinnati set offensively, 407 yards in the Corey Dillon 278-yard game against the Denver Broncos, survived by three yards. So they avoid the ignominy of giving up more rushing yards in the modern era any other team in history by three yards it's it's uh it's obscene you know i mean it really is uh the ravens rush for over three thousand yards now they embarrassed a lot of people but this was an annihilation i mean 400 yards rushing in today's national football league anybody any era national football league obviously is rare to, to be able to do that today is is mind-boggling i mean it really is there has there has to be so many factors, so many circumstances that have to align themselves the right way in the universe to be able to rush for over 400 yards in an NFL game today because this is the number one rushing team in the NFL by far. 
And, you know, they've rushed for 300 on, on teams, but they've never rushed for 400 on anybody. And, I mean, that's, that is almost impossible to believe happened, but we saw it happen, so it did. Well, for everybody that's been upset the last couple of weeks because the Bengals have been dropping in the draft order, I guess they should be happy because they, they did not drop any more in the draft order. It looks like they're going to have the fifth pick. I'm a glutton for this kind of stuff. I actually searched mock drafts on Sunday morning. They are out there. I looked at five mock drafts that I consider to be from somewhat reputable sources. I mean, the uh, Mel Kuypers of the world are not putting theirs out yet. But these were at least, you know, they looked somewhat legit. Two of the five still have them getting Panay Sewell with the fifth pick. And there's probably a good possibility that that takes place. Look, look what happens. Uh, Fields goes from dropping from the number two quarterback to being the number one quarterback. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's an instant gratification society. I mean, it's, it's flavor of the week. I mean, what, what, what are we talking about here? So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's possible. There's, there's no question that, uh, that Sewell could be, could be a Cincinnati Bengal. And if he is, that's great. Um, if he's not, I, have no, I would have no issue if they traded back and accumulated uh, you know, significant picks in so doing. 50% of first-round picks fail. 50%. I mean, it's a crapshoot. Crapshoot. So the only way that you can increase your odds in that crapshoot is to get more numbers, you know. And and I've always been one that uh, if you have a weakness in a position, draft a couple of them. You know, if you if you don't put your bat on the ball in one of them, you you get a 50, 50 shot with with two of them. So um, it's happened in franchise history before that they've doubled down on a position group here recently with Obwehi and Fisher and Ant went 0 for two. I mean, it happens. But sometimes you go two for two. A lot of times you go one for two, whatever the situation may be. I just have no problem with throwing numbers at problem areas in, in terms of number of picks, free agent signings, whatever the case may be. If you're going to overhaul it, overhaul it right. The scenario that I've seen where the Bengals could still get Panay Sewell if they are five and they don't trade back would be three quarterbacks go in the top four and then the other guy that gets picked may be Jamar Chase, the great wide receiver from LSU. Caleb Farley, the top cornerback in the draft. His name has, has come up a few times. So I don't think that Panay Sewell will be there at number five. And if he's not, I am 100% in agreement with you. Try to get another high pick if you can, particularly if you don't have to move way back in the first round in order to do it. Right. I mean, there's a formula. That everybody you know will be following, and, and the Bengals know what that formula is, and the people they're trading with know what that formula is, and who's going to give, who's going to have the best components, you know, within the structure of that formula. So, um, you know, it's 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 not really rocket science. It's just uh, you know getting a getting a fair deal structured, and then uh, it's certainly not the draft itself is not scientific. Although I will say, Sewell, physically, the more you know, see this guy and and, and read about him and hear about him, he is a he is a, an anomaly. I mean, he is a, a generational type guy from a physical standpoint. Um, but you know, he just there's there's no there's no guarantees, as they say. But he's as close as you can get, I think. Nobody stands out in a good way when you lose thirty-eight to three and give up more than five hundred yards, including more than four hundred rushing yards. But Travion Williams, four carries, seventy-four yards, including a fifty-five yard run. I guess if you had to pin a star on anybody, he would be it. 
Yeah, and I thought he ran hard. You know, it, not just on the on the one that he busted out of there, but even even the runs that he went for five or six yards, he finished everything hard. He hit it hard. He's got a low pad level. He ran with a you know a good a good lean. Um, he played played with that low center of gravity. I, he, he's obviously you know somebody that's got some talent. Anybody that leads the SEC in rushing ain't chopped liver. You know, and uh, he's got to make sure the thing that two things that he has to do in my mind uh, work to continue to work on blitz pickup, his technique and finishing those, and then ball security. You know, he he is sometimes a little loosey goosey with the football. You don't want to see you don't want to see air. You don't want to see space between the football and the body, high and tight. You know, tuck it high and tight and make sure that ball security thing is paramount. And uh, because you know that that's something you have to have. You can't be putting the ball on the ground. Austin Seibert made a 38-yard field goal. I guess that was the other good thing for the Bengals. He he went six for eight on his field goals, eight for eight on his points after after uh, being made the starter in place of Randy Bullock. The two misses were his two longest kicks, 49 and 55. He obviously did okay, but I don't think he was so good that the Bengals can confidently think, all right, we've definitely got our kicker for next year. Yeah, I agree with you. I think there's going to be a lot of research done in that regard uh, in terms of what's out there in free agency and, uh, you know, what's out there in general. There's a lot of kickers out there. And then potentially, uh, you know, late in the draft or whatever the case may be, uh, college free agent prospect. I mean, I, I think there's going to be a kicking competition. And how many kickers will be involved in that kicking competition? Only uh, only one guy knows. That's Darren Simmons. You know, he probably doesn't know yet. All right. I think what you should do now is go home, have a nice dinner, relax tomorrow, and then at 6 p.m. tomorrow, I'll fill in for Lance McAllister, and we'll talk about this game and the season for three hours. How's that sound? Yeah, we'll beat it up for three more hours, Dan, you know, and uh, and then just start talking about what what's going to happen in the offseason. Um, here, uh, <laughs> here comes the offseason upon us quickly, and I hope the Bengals get it right in the draft this year and address offensive and defensive line and free agency if it's possible to do so. And see if we can build upon uh, build upon the way the season finished. Other than this final game, the last month of the season, I thought there were signs of life, and hopefully that continues in the off season. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. Now, time for this week's fun facts segment, where you get to know the person under the pads. Time for some fun facts with. To Maurice Higgins, better known as T. Higgins. T, your grandfather on your mother's side was Maurice. Your mom added the T to get your name. Do you know if she always planned to call you T when she named you? Uh, no. Um, I think, uh, I, if I remember correctly, she told me that my grandma, her mother, could not say my uh, my full name. So they just thought of, thought of T, and that's what they've been calling me ever since. When you were a kid on the first day of school, did the teacher sometimes read off to Maurice? And if so, how did you react? Every time we had first day of school, they would read off my first, my full name and they would always say it wrong. Either Tamarius or <laughs> Tamarice. I'm just like, uh, you can just call me T every time. So <laughs> <laughs> We're chatting with T Higgins. You're from Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Home of the famed Oak Ridge Boys, country music quartet. I would sing a little Elvira, but I don't want to ruin your day. What did young T. Higgins like to do growing up in Oak Ridge? For me, it was just, you know, running around with my friends. We used to ride bikes everywhere, you know, um, 
I lived a good maybe three miles from the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, we used to ride our bikes there all the time. We used to ride our bikes to McDonald's. Um, just, you know, going to summer camp, you know, those those are the times that, you know, moments that I always cherish. And uh, some of my boys, we just, some, we still talk about it to the, still to this day. And, you know, we just think about those times and just laugh and kick about it. Are you aware that Oak Ridge is known as the Atomic City? Yep. Mm-hmm. And do you know why? Uh, wasn't it was like part of the you know they helped make the atomic bomb right? Correct. Yeah, it was like the correct. secret city. That's correct. The Manhattan Project, which was mm-hmm. the secret project for the development of the uh, first nuclear weapons, was basically based in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Yeah, I was like, uh, you know, Oak Ridge being so small in in Tennessee, you know, you don't really see too many towns in in, in the state of Tennessee being you know nationally known. And, you know, just just seeing that, uh, I was always thought when I was young, I was like, oh, we're on the map. Like everybody <laughs> knows about Oak Ridge now. It's just, you know, things like that that we always you know laughed about. We're doing fun facts with T. Higgins. As legend has it, you would not be playing football today if not for Hot Wheels, the little toy cars. Can you explain how Hot Wheels paved the way for you becoming an NFL football player? Yeah, so in Pop Warner days, um, you know, uh, I think I was around maybe five, six, um, and it was real hot one day, one game, and I was like, I am not doing this. I can't do it. I want to go home. So in the middle of the game, I went up in the stands and sat with my aunt <laughs> in the middle of the game, and then next thing you know, she uh, she say, she says, I will, I will go to Walmart and buy you two Hot Wheel cars if you go back down and play and score a touchdown. <laughs> and sure enough, I went back down and scored on like the second play. And after the game, I told her to take me straight to Walmart and got my Hot Wheels. <laughs> you were bribed by your aunt yep. who promised <laughs> to give you Hot Wheels for touchdowns. What did you do with the Hot Wheels? Did you have little tracks and race them or did you just like admire them and trade them and stuff like that? I really just admired them and just play with them on my own, you know, just going back and forth with the cars. You know, me being at a young age, just having fun with those those cars is, you know, it, it was a lot of fun. And now me growing up, I'm in love with cars and I, you know, I see why. Has your Hot Wheels collection been preserved? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mom's never going to throw those out, right? Uh-uh, she can't. That's great. We're doing fun facts with T Higgins T back in April. You spoke about your relationship with your mom in the player's tribune in a story titled mama's boy. And it began with you describing the day she was shot when you were six years old and in kindergarten. What do you remember about it and the days that followed? You know, uh, I remember just going to school that day and, you know, me being in class sitting there doing my work. And next thing you know, though, they called us the, um, the teacher and they say I'm being checked out and the teacher told me I was being checked out no one knew she didn't know uh so I'm like see y'all guys I'm, I'm getting checked out and you know just me being excited just because I'm getting checked out of school um I get to the, the front office you know my sister's there she's crying and I'm just wondering like what's going on I'm still ex- a little bit excited that I'm being checked out of school I don't have to be in school that day uh we get in the car and she you know she breaks the news to me and I just start busting out crying like what's going on what's wrong what's wrong uh, is mama going to be okay? You know, you know, we get to the, um, the house, her house where she was shot at. Uh, she was already gone, flew in a helicopter. And I'm just wanting to go see my mom. You know, I tried to cross the yellow tape. They, my sister just grabbed me. You know, you can't go over there. I just wanted to see my mom at that point. And, um, you know, it, it, it was a tough time for me. Then they had told me that she got shot in the head, that, you know, she might not make it. You never know. Um, it was just, you know, me 
having the thought, you know, of losing my mom, it was just, you know, heartbreaking. Even though she was, um, you know, in and out of the house, you, you know, doing drugs at the time, it still was heartbreaking to lose, you know, my mom. We grew such a strong connection. God works in mysterious ways. She's here now. And ever since then, we've been growing our connection stronger and stronger. And can't nobody break that bond that we have. It's an amazing story. Your mom overcame her addiction. She's been sober for more than 13 years. She doesn't shy away from talking about the experience. How did her example help mold you? Seeing the way how she went about things, you know, stepping up and, you know, talking about her, her past and, you know, uh, seeing that how strong she was, you know, that that can't compare to anything that has happened in my life. You know, um, so when when something's going bad, going downhill in my life, I just think about that moment, how how strong she was and how how passionate, how passionate she was to you know talk about her past and and show people that it's possible to overcome things like that. Just me seeing her do that, uh, I just think about like, I'm like, yeah, this is nothing. Like, I could talk about this and, and be okay and move on to the next thing. And, you know, so this is how I go about things now. You've got an older sister, Kiki, who is a basketball player. She played on an NCAA tournament team at Middle Tennessee State. Describe her game. In high school, uh, she did, she was a post, uh, and she told me that she she uh, she did a lot of pinching down in the post, you know, to, you know, get girls to you know, move weird and throw them off their game, basically. And, you know, she was real dominant. And then when she got to MTSU, she actually got there, you know, uh, ended up having a kid. So she came back home for a few years, you know, to raise her child. And then she went back to school hmm. and went back to MTSU. And, you know, she had an outstanding career there. Um, she, uh, I think, is the three-point. She, she had 13 threes in the game. And... I'm that that day. I'm just like 13 threes. 13 threes. What? I said, Susie, when did you become a three point shooter? First of all, <laughs> and, and still to this day, she thinks she can beat me one on one. Was there a point in your childhood where she did? Did she used to, to beat you up playing hoops? Yeah, she was, you know, she was always bigger than me. So, but now I think I get her. Yes, it's, it's nothing now. <laughs> We're chatting with T. Higgins. You went to Clemson. You won a national championship as a sophomore, made it back to the national championship game as a junior. For somebody that has never seen it, can you describe the football facility at Clemson? Man, uh, that facility there, man, it's, it's, it's probably one of the best in the country. Um, you know, now that everybody's up, updating their facilities now, uh, obviously they're trying to outdo, you know, other, outdo Clemson now, but man, we got the, the locker room is, is really crazy. Um, you know, we got a bowling alley in there. We got all types of other games like ping pong. We got a golf simulator, which I, I was in a lot. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'm not really good at hitting with a driver. So I, I practiced my little six iron, practiced my swing with a six iron. I got good at that. Um, you got the slide going down from the meeting rooms to, to the locker room. The weight room is huge. I mean, they literally have everything that you would need in there. Um, and the, my favorite part of the whole facility is the uh, the Paul Bistro, which is like our cafeteria. Um, so when you go in there, you uh, just you can literally put your order in on the iPad, tell them what you want, and it'll be ready for you in like what maybe five to ten minutes. And that was probably my favorite part because you had we had so many different options, you know. Um, so yeah, the facility is is is, is one of a kind, definitely. Do people actually use the slide or is it just for show? 
I use it a few times, but really most of the, the defense uses it. I mean, I don't know now, but when I was there, mostly the defense uses it because their, their meeting rooms is like right there. And our meeting rooms is like on the other side where the steps was. You can just walk down the steps. But yeah, uh, defense used it most of the time. So uh, me coming back, you know, going into the locker room, you would just see all those defensive guys just slide. And sometimes uh, they, so if you got on your football pants, it's like real slick. So they'd be sliding real fast and they'd try to land and they just bust it. It would be the funniest thing ever. <laughs> T, one of the great traditions in college football is the Clemson team entrance for a home game at Death Valley. Describe what's been called the most exciting 25 seconds in college football. Let me, let me start here. My freshman year, um, I'm excited to run down the hill, this and that, and one of the players go, T, do not fall. Whatever you do, do not fall. It'll be the most embarrassing time here at Clemson. So I'm like, okay, okay. So I, I literally touch the rock, go down the hill really slow, like just, and then usually like, this is like a little part where you can like jump. I didn't jump. I was not falling. It was, it wasn't happening, but over, over the time, you know, me going down, getting used to it, I started jumping really high. I think it is the most, the most 25 seconds of college football because you know, it's, it's just a feeling that's that's surreal with all the fans, the, the student sections right there on each side. And it's just it's just a great feeling. Clemson has been called wide receiver university. Who's the best wide receiver in Clemson history? Oof, that's tough. Uh, it's a lot of greats that come through there. You know, you got you got Nuke, Sammy, Martavis Bryant, Mike Williams, myself. You know, it's, it's a lot of greats that come through there. Uh, I can't really just pinpoint one, um, but we're definitely receiver you. No question about it. So on draft night, we learned that A.J. Green was your sports hero and the Bengals were your favorite team. What was it like to be drafted by your team? Just getting that call from Cincy on, on the second day of draft night, uh, it was, you know, a dream come true, obviously, just to get drafted, but for it to become be from my favorite team is, uh, is, is you know, it's just, it, it was crazy. I'm like, mom, Cincinnati's calling. So I answer, it's coach Taylor on the phone. He's you ready to be a bingo? I'm like, hell yeah, let's do this. <laughs> um, and then, you know, uh, just me, I didn't even think about the, the whole thing with AJ being here, but it, it hit me like, you know, after I did all the interviews, I'm like, man, AJ is on my team now. Like, this is crazy. I looked up to this man. He's my role model and all that. Um, but, you know, the transition, you know, it's been great. He's helped. He's been helping me a lot. Um, you know, uh, so it's been, it's been good. A few more fun facts for T Higgins. You are two-time Mr. Football in Tennessee. You are a finalist for Mr. Basketball in Tennessee. What sport are you lousy at? Let, let's talk about baseball real quick. Funny thing. <laughs> It was baseball uh, season in my boys club days. And it was my first season where the coaches do not pitch and the players pitch. And I'm literally up the bat. And I kid you not, I got hit with the ball on the pitch. And in the middle of the game, I said, Mom, I'm done. I quit, threw the bat down, took off my helmet. And I said, Mom, let's go. We're leaving. I'm done. And we left. One hit by pitch was all it took. One hit. And it was all it took. I'm done. There seems to be a history of this. I mean, with football, when the weather was hot, you walked up into the stands. Baseball, you get hit by a pitch, you bolt. Come on, yeah, T. Was, I mean, hey, 
I didn't know what I wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> it all worked out in the end. What do you like to spend your money on? Oh, that's a good question. You know, growing up, uh, I didn't have much to spend it on. Um, so, but now that I, uh, you know, I'm making some money, um, you know, I buy, I mean, I have a car, obviously. Um, I, buy, I like to buy a lot of clothes and shoes right now. Um, I'm real big. I'm starting to get real big in the shoe game. So I would, I would say shoes and, you know, I've been, you know, helping, I've been buying a lot of toys for my dog as well. You occasionally wear cool looking glasses in interviews. Do they have any magnifying power or are they strictly for show? Oh no, those are my actual glasses. Um, right now I have my, I have my contacts. So, uh, I, I try to wear my contacts more often, but you know, at the beginning of the season, um, I didn't have my contacts yet. So it was just, I had to wear my glasses. And a lot of people thought they was for show, but they're, they're actually real. All right. A few more fun facts. Are you an avid fan of another sport? And if so, what team do you follow? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of basketball. Um, you know, I was a basketball star. And um, I follow the Brooklyn Nets now because, you know, Kevin Durant was, is my favorite player. And, you know, um, so hopefully now that, you know, I can actually do something during the offseason. You know, I was in college. I couldn't do nothing because I was in school. But now, actually, I, I can do something. Hopefully, they allow fans up there in New York, and I can go watch a game, you know, courtside seats. Or if they was to come, like, you know, to and play Charlotte or Memphis, I can go to one of those games and, you know, just go to see them play in person. So, All right, T, last thing. Describe reaching out to Chad Johnson for the permission to wear number 85. At first, you know, um, I wanted number 15. You know, I just wanted to keep five in my number. You know, that's been my number since high school. And um, I wanted number 15, but another guy had it. Or I wanted a number to, you know, you know that equals five, like four plus one. So you'd be like 14 or something like that. But uh, they didn't have any of those numbers available and or any team numbers. They didn't have any of those available. So, you know, they told me that they had 80, 85, and, and another number. Um, so I was like, oh, 85. I was just asking some of my friends, like, what numbers you think I should get? And it was like, and get 85, like, man, you know, Chad Johnson had it. He was, you know, Ocho Cinco, it's Ocho Cinco. He's, he's a, he's a Cincinnati great, bro. He was like, man, just, just, just do it. So I was like, all right. So I was like, you know what, since, you know, since he's a great, I think I should just, you know, ask permission out of respect, you know, uh, what he's done. We play the same position. Uh, so I, you know, I DM him on Twitter. I was like, man, how would you feel, you know, about me wearing, you know, the great 85? He was like, man, I'll be thrilled for you to wear it, man, and this and that. And he's like, I know you're going to be great. I know you're going to do treat the city well and, you know, just do right by the number. And, you know, I was just able to go out there. And he let me get it. And, you know, I've been having a good season so far. You are definitely doing right by the number. Congratulations <laughs> on a tremendous rookie season. Thanks so much for the time. Happy holidays and uh, best of luck the rest of the year. Appreciate it. Happy holidays to you too. Here's a quick reminder that while the season is over, the Bengals Booth Podcast rolls on in the offseason with weekly additions to keep you up to date on the latest Bengals news. That's going to do it for this episode, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde. Happy New Year, and thanks so much for listening to the Bengals Booth podcast.